I'm Alicia Michalisic-Gonzalez, host of the Real Talk podcast and an emergency doctor with Fituity, a physician-led and owned partnership comprised of doctors, advanced providers, and industry professionals working together to provide compassionate, quality, acute care to patients across the nation. Vituity's number one goal is to be at the heart of better care. But in considering what's important to us and prioritizing the wellness of our clinicians and employees, Vituity has also made diversity a focus of their work. The following episode is brought to you by members of one of Vituity's enterprise resource groups, created to provide support for different demographic groups within our organization. Our hope is to amplify stories from the diverse community of healthcare workers we proudly work alongside, while acknowledging the unfair systems we continue to struggle with in our country, and then work together to change them. This is Real Talk Unplugged. Hi, I'm Molly Maxwell, Digital Marketing Manager with Vituity, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about the human experiences that have shaped and affected their careers working in medicine. Today, we'll hear a story from Sean, a physician assistant from California. Sean's story is one that really gets to me personally in a multitude of ways. As a mom, I'm raising a daughter who's transgender a daughter who at only two years old could tell us exactly who she was and who she was was not who we thought she would be. I'm raising a child who relentlessly insisted for years that we had it all wrong, that she knew she was born into the wrong body. A child we watched struggle and we struggled right along with her until she was four and a half and we had done enough therapy and enough research to start listening to her. The mom of a daughter who now, at 10 years old, is thriving and living life as her truly authentic self. I get to watch her grow and thrive and laugh and stumble and cry and be oh so stubborn. But I get to watch her do all of that knowing she's living as her authentic self, knowing that listening and affirming were the exact right things to do for her. And we get the privilege of reminding her every day that she is loved for exactly who she is. Don't get me wrong, this is not easy for her, for our family. She knows she's different and no matter how much support she receives from us in our extended community, she struggles to understand why she has the body she has when she feels so different inside. Recently, she told me that her only wish is that she would have been born a real girl. And that broke my heart because in my mind and in all the ways in which she expresses herself, she is more a real girl than I've ever been and than a lot of people I know have ever been. And I tried to teach her that we define femininity for ourselves. And as much as I tried to relay these messages to her, she knows deep down that she's different. And my only wish for her is that someday she'll realize that's where the beauty lies. Now, not all transgender and non-binary people struggle with body dysmorphia. For some, it's about gender identity and expression, and they are quite content in their biological bodies. That's not our daughter's experience, at least so far. And it wasn't Sean's experience either. 
The difference in their experiences, though, and why Sean's story gets to me, is that our daughter isn't struggling with all of this as a child, alone. Sean's story is important. It's a story of heartbreak, strength, resilience, pride, and the vitalness of being able to live authentically. This story is a reminder of how far we've come and how much farther we have to go for kids like my daughter and future generations. This is Sean's story. I did have such a hard time figuring out how to tell this story, and I decided that the thing I'd like to convey most is the personal experience of growing up so obviously different than everyone else and some of the impact that has on a person as an adult and some of what I had never gotten anywhere else in four decades of life up to that point. You know, if I was writing an essay, it would be, what are you? Are you a boy or a girl? And um, that is my earliest memories. I have that in there. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, by the time I got to college, I could have paid for at least two years. Kids ask it when they're young, more innocently. When working in the ER, little kids would do it. Moms would hush them up, you know. Dads never hushed them up, interestingly. But to be what I now know is gender nonconforming, it turns out that's a, a huge red flag out there. So being a kid, yeah, how, how do I even explain it? It was just, I was just like this, only small. <laughs> and so I didn't play with the boys, didn't play with the girls, bullying of all kinds, problems with adults because of this, and learning that I kind of just wanted to be as invisible as possible, which is not that possible for me with my loud mouth. I wanted to say a couple of stories that kind of illustrate sort of the funny side of it, but they weren't really that funny at the time. So growing up, the lore in my family, I refused to wear dresses age two. I don't remember that. I do remember, however, being roughly five, six, seven where we lived and at age seven talking to my mother in the kitchen one day uh, and complaining about basically being ostracized by all the other kids. And she said, well, you know what you got to do to get along with them? And I, I said, yeah, but I can't. That's not me. That's as much as we ever said. And it was okay because the values in my family at that time were um, more about books, learning, intellect, and they weren't so gendered at that time when you're young. Being a tomboy is okay. They were enough worried, though, that that round about that same time, they took me to a child psychologist for a few visits. And I sort of knew that was a threat somehow. I just didn't know what it was. I had no idea why I was going. But I knew I had to kind of try to fool this lady into thinking I was somebody different. But what turned out what the goal was is I had to draw my family. Um, stick figures were fine, but I had to draw them so that my father and my brother were wearing pants and my mother, my sister, and I were wearing little triangle dresses. And I balked at that because I didn't wear dresses. That wouldn't have been accurate. Finally realized that's the only way I'm getting out of here. And I drew the triangle and I was released. That was the whole thing. They wanted to know if I knew what equipment I was born with. Because back then, that's, that was it. That's all we knew. In about 60s and 70s in Florida, we all know there's two genders and sex means gender both back and forth. And it depends on what you're born with. And I don't think anybody even thought about intersex people at that time. So yeah, I knew what equipment I was born with. I just knew that I didn't like anything in life associated with it. Even as the youngest kid, I didn't like any of the roles girls were forced into. 
and I didn't like not being able to do the things the boys could do. I saw them as having independence, even at a very young age, that that girls didn't have. Um, those of you who have met me before, um, be interesting to you know raise your internal hand. How many of you, when we first met, thought that I was a guy? Because my entire life, most of the time, people did either on the phone because of my voice, or in person. And um, you know, as young, that was more of a problem than in, in adulthood. But there was never a point at which I would go into the public women's restroom and not get gasps or stares. Shortly before I started my transition a couple of years ago, a woman literally gasped out loud and pulled her children to her. That was close to the last time I ever used a women's restroom. And so um, just that constant pressure is something that will wear a person down. I had to grow up thinking of myself as an other, an it. I certainly knew I wasn't a boy and I didn't like boys, so I didn't want to be one. But I didn't feel comfortable at all as a girl. When I got to California, I got out of the army, landed in Berkeley, um, which was a 180. First thing I learned was I could change my name, so I did. And by that time, I'd come out as gay. I had a girlfriend in high school, and that was cool out here in California. And we didn't have the internet, so gay was not cool back there. And my parents weren't too keen on it either. We didn't talk for a few years. And so, okay, I'm assigned which dyke. And I hope that word didn't offend anybody, but, you know, that's the way it was. I couldn't say the word lesbian anyway. Couldn't say the word woman. Um, certainly not about myself. Somehow the harder syllables were more tolerable. But even then, I certainly loved women and his partners and most of the time his friends and people to be around. Um, didn't really have much to do with guys for well, many years, actually. Just weren't in my circle. In the 80s, there was a women's movement. It was kind of separate before AIDS, actually, quite separate from the men. But even there, there were spaces that were women's spaces. There were festivals like the Michigan Women's Festival and stuff. And I wasn't comfortable there either. It just, it just, the fit was wrong. And from at age 13, when a neighborhood lady spread the rumor that I had told her I was going to get a sex change operation when I turned 18, which was not even sort of true, never thought of it, and would have died before saying the word sex. People would either, you know, think I was a guy, get corrected that I was female, instantly know that I was gay because I could never hide that, and then predict the sex change business. And I really never thought about it. And then in recent years, it's all over the news, it's all over CNN, but it's all about kids. And I had a therapist for a few years and she'd give me hints, right? Like, oh, you should read this book. You should read that book, you know, and I might read them, but I wasn't going to take that bait. You know, I just say, well, you know, if I was a kid today, things might be different. And that was it. Shut the door for years. And then one day I was um, studying for final exams on my master's program and studying, studying, studying probably a day or two before finals and boom, like a two by four, like a light switch came on. I'm trans. That applies to me at that point, 55 years old. Wow. I didn't know that all the pieces in my life didn't fit by that time. I had become the person I thought I was, but suddenly, wow, things made a lot more sense. If you can acknowledge that such a thing exists as a person who doesn't fit at some part of the body, to the social, to the whatever, 
then that would be where I fit. And um, everybody I knew, everybody I worked with, family, apparently I was the last one to know. I mean, literally one of my supervising physicians said, I thought you knew that. <laughs> you know? um, uh, the one who didn't deal with it was my partner. And uh, that, that has not gone well 29 years this year. And that's going to be, I think, the end of it. But um, everybody else, that worked really well. And so I think I've had the easiest social transition that I've ever heard of because everybody already thought I was a guy. Like, it's like, okay, well, that makes it easier. There's no trying to make it work mentally when the image didn't fit. Um, even in the Bay Area, I'd gone back and forth. It was just a challenge. And I definitely carried around that beat up kid, no self-confidence. I'd like to disappear now, thank you, folding in. <laughs> and then I got hired to be the first PA at my site. And then I got asked to be the lead. And then I got asked to be a regional lead. People were valuing me for what I knew. And more important, I was allowed to get up and speak looking the way I look. And I wasn't ashamed for me. I looked the way I look. But I did not think anybody else would approve and want that as, as something they were associated with. So that level of acceptance is enormous. And that can be if you're gay, if you're gender non-conforming, if you're anything. So yeah, so I suddenly realized what everybody else apparently knew, I'm trans, I begin a medical transition. I have to come out to my sites, um, we have meetings, and with very few exceptions, it has gone really, really well. When I hear a story like Sean's, I'm filled with gratitude that I have the privilege to raise my daughter now when resources are abundant and the conversation is mainstream versus when Sean was growing up. There's still so much work to do to secure equality for trans youth and adults, as is evident by the amount of legislation targeting their access to healthcare, education, and even the ability to play sports. But generally, society has still advanced enough that raising a transgender child now is light years different than what Sean and his family went through. Very simply, Sean grew up without the language, without even knowing there was a term for what he was feeling. He grew up without hearing or learning a word like transgender, without knowing that simply having that word meant there were others with the same feeling and he wasn't alone. Even for us, our path to acceptance felt long because we struggled to understand what our small child was insisting. We tried to set rules and boundaries. We restricted her into all the stereotypes of what we thought a son should fit into. And we caused a lot of heartbreak and frustration in the early years of our child's life. But ultimately, we realized with the help of so many resources, like specialized organizations and books and doctors and therapists, that the most important thing we could do for our child was to listen. Listen to what she was saying, affirm her experience, and support her unconditionally. All of which we wanted to do for our kids anyway. 
despite it looking different than we thought it would. What were we doing by not listening, by not letting her live as herself? We were teaching her that who she was, telling us that she was, was something to be ashamed of, and that we too were ashamed. And the second we realized that, we knew there was no way we were going to allow one more second of our daughter feeling shame or thinking we were ashamed of her. We vowed right then and there to spend the rest of our days making sure both of our children knew we were proud as hell of who they are and they have our unconditional love and support. Imagine if Sean's family had the same access to resources and education. Would he have recognized and been able to live as himself a lot earlier in his life? Imagine if every family, every child had access to resources and education that said, hey, you get to define your life for yourself and the things you love and what you wanna wear and the way you want your hair, all the ways you feel most comfortable are actually acceptable. Not only acceptable, but let's celebrate it. I cling to stories like Sean's, the stories of the trailblazers who walked this path before our daughter and who have come out the other side, staying true to themselves and living a life of fulfillment. These stories give me hope because even though she's loved and supported, and even though it's 2021 and progress has been made, I worry about my daughter's future a lot. Every parent worries about their child's future. But not every parent watches as people throughout the country, and especially as our country's leaders, actively campaign against their children. It is never lost on me or taken for granted that the struggles of people like Sean to simply be able to live their life is what has made it possible for my daughter to thrive at such a young age. And from this mama's heart to you, Sean, I am in awe of your strength and incredibly grateful to you. If someone in your life is struggling with their gender identity or expression, struggling to feel aligned in their bodies, struggling to feel heard or supported at home or in the workplace, please reach out to them. Being affirmed and heard by even one person can make all of the difference. Thank you to Sean for sharing his story with us, to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Molly, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Start at realtalk.transistor.fm or you can follow the link in the show notes for this episode.